Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful agency and B2B SaaS executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Let's jump into the show. Today, I'm joined by the co-founder and chairman of Relevate Health, Jeff Spanbauer. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thanks, Corey. I'm excited to be here. Oh, man, I'm super excited as well. As we get kicked off here, could you share a little bit about your company, Relevate Health, what it does, who you serve, and those type of things? Absolutely. Yeah, so Relevate Health, it was founded back in 2007. And uh, over the last 16 years, we've really built a great business of being able to use data to help do omnichannel marketing for primarily pharmaceutical and uh, device clients across the U.S. Beautiful. So first question I have based on that response is what, how do you define omnichannel marketing? Because it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of a term that's used differently in different contexts. How, how do you think about it? Yeah, I, I think about it as really surround sound. So making it kind of a seamless experience for for us, we're marketing to, to doctors, primarily healthcare professionals, okay. and uh, making it a seamless, personalized experience for them as they're trying to get information about the brands we serve. And so, you know, there's a lot of different definitions of it, but I, I, that's how I think of it is really the surround sound that's seamless. And wherever you left off with one and you, you go through a different channel, you pick up where you left off and it's, it's a very seamless really personalized experience for the healthcare professional. God, I, I love that. And my, uh, my last role as a CMO, just being able to ensure that campaigns and copy and creative is consistent across channels is quite a challenge. So I have a lot of respect for the lot work lot that you guys do. Yeah, a lot of data. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. And so just to be clear, so you're serving sort of healthcare and pharma businesses then, and they're, and they're trying to market directly into doctors. Is that is that fair? Yeah. So our, our clients, these pharmaceutical brands, you know, they get a they you know get a drug approved, and they need to build awareness. They have a 17 year patent in, in on their drug, okay. and that usually usually costs about a billion dollars to get a drug out in the marketplace, just based on all the clinical testing and, and everything that has to happen to make that happen. So these guys have the pressure of I got. You know, and by the time the drug gets approved through the FDA, it's about year 10. <laughs> so they have about seven years to make their, you know, their billion dollar plus ideally some return on that back. So they want to get in front of these doctors and make them aware of the disease state and that there's a new treatment to be able to serve them and their patients. And that's kind of our job is to really, you know, help launch these drugs and uh, get as much awareness as possible with the, with the right people so that they can get the treatment they need and get the quality of life they're looking for. That's awesome. And just a little bit of context on the company. What could you share about maybe the number of employees, revenue, whatever you're comfortable sharing, number of clients? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're about 220 employees. We have four offices, Cincinnati, New Jersey, Boston, and Dallas. We'll do around, you know, 70 ish million this year. And so it's, yeah, it's been, been really cool seeing it go from myself and my co-founder to now all these new people um, over the last, you know, 16 years. And uh, it's just, it's been very surreal to kind of watch the company and, and then moving from CEO to chairman where I got to hand the baton off and get out of the day-to-day -day operations has been uh, just been a real joy to watch and uh, see this thing continue to, to do great things. So amazing. I can't wait for this conversation. So much to unpack there. So why don't you take us back to, you started in 2007. What was happening in your life then that uh, caused you and your co-founder to say, hey, we should, we should start an agency? Yeah, well, interestingly, <laughs> myself and my co-founder, we worked together at P&G. Okay. And uh, we, we never worked in the same areas, but we would actually, my, myself, him, and another guy would get up 
and meet around 6 a.m. to work out together before the day, the day got started. We all had young kids and we knew that there was no chance of working out after work. So we, we wanted to get it done before. So fast forward, he left P&G. I left and went to Pfizer. And maybe four years into my Pfizer gig, you know, Pfizer had this uh, culture that they really trusted their employees. And if there was someone I would recommend to come join the company and they got hired, they would pay me two grand. So my, you know, soon, you know, one day co-founder was at a different company and the job that I was in for Ohio opened up in New Jersey. And I called Scott and said, Hey, you should come work at, at Pfizer and I'll make two grand off of it. So uh, <laughs> he ended up getting hired. We worked together for about three years at Pfizer. Uh, he still gives me a hard time about not splitting. I was going to say. Him, it all worked out. So, so yeah, so 2007, there was a lot of change at Pfizer. They were going through a lot of restructures with uh, Lipitor heading towards becoming generic, which was their biggest brand. It was like a $12, $12 billion brand and it was going to be generic within a couple of years. And so Pfizer was going through all these cost structure changes. And, you know, interestingly, I was on this team with Scott and there were 24 marketers across the U.S. doing this thing called local marketing. And, you know, based on our experience at P&G and Pfizer, like this is, this is a really cool idea. This is, and, and being in that role, we, we were able to deliver great results for the brands we were partnering with. And so, but as like any big company, uh, our, our VP who was in charge of our team, he left the company. We didn't have a VP. The company was going through a restructure and the, the chief marketing officer said, I got to get rid of 25 people in marketing. There's this team of 24. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of that team. And they can apply for other jobs, you know, and they, you know, asked Scott and I apply for jobs in New York. But, you know, basically he, they gave us a six month head start to say, hey, good luck in, in your next uh, next adventure. You know, consider New York for, you know, a couple of minutes. But my wife, we had three kids at the time. She's like, you can go to New York, but I'm not going to New York. So I knew that wasn't <laughs> going to be a good solution. And uh, Scott had actually been commuting, doing an intern kind of a, I think they called it succumbent, where he was going into headquarters and, he lived in Jersey. He's like, there's no way this is a long-term solution. So we we kind of like said, hey, this is a really cool concept that that Pfizer, you know, has us doing. You know, Pfizer no longer wants to do it because they're getting rid of our team. And so we should go off of this out in the marketplace, which was just a great way to get started because we already kind of knew exactly, you know, ways that we could provide value for brands that we worked with at Pfizer and could work with at, at other companies as well. So that that gave us the impetus and you know, took us about a month to get hired by three major pharmaceutical companies. So Not bad. We got hired, you know, by J&J, &J, AstraZeneca, and Santa Fe of Venice, like right away. They loved our background at P&G and Pfizer and the fact that we already kind of knew exactly how to make things happen in, the, in, in this regional concept. So the biggest thing that Scott and I did to really change, you know, kind of make this a much stronger model is we, we went and got a, um, we worked really hard to get a patent on how we did pharmaceutical segmentation of markets. And we used a lot of data to do that. And that gave us kind of this really strong analytical foundation to be able to go to a brand and say, hey, here's, here's the local market drivers for your business. And here, you know, you don't need to change everything, but here's a couple things you can do to create relevance locally. That's really going to change the trajectory of your brand's performance in, in these, in these uh, local geographies. And so... That was our start. And uh, we started really selling the, the analytics first because, you know, like any good marketer, you got to have a good strategy before you go off and do the, the execution. And then, you know, as we started to, you know, help these brands come up with uh, ideas from a, you know, strategy perspective, they then needed solutions to be able to implement those strategies. And then we started to roll out more tactical products that uh, allowed us to be able to create local relevance for them through these products. 
So let me let me understand this a little bit. So you would you uh, first off you you follow the patent for your data driven segmentation approach, right? Yeah. I love that because that instantly gives you sort of good positioning and a brand story. You can go in and talk about you know our proprietary widget that helps you to do things yeah. that it, it, we you know as a result of this you'll have an advantage, which is very powerful. Yeah, and it, it also gave us the credibility of the U.S. Patent Office evaluated this and said it was something that they saw as a you know, as, as patentable. Right. And, and we never really expected to go, you know, ever, you know, from a legal perspective, protect the patent against the pharma companies because they, they got more lawyers and marketers. <laughs> but what we did see is it gave us a lot of credibility. Sure. You're, you guys are marketers. So it was, it was right. marketing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, so you, you effectively, you were an in-house agency to a certain extent that you came out based on the layoffs at Pfizer, and because you had that, the already the awareness, a lot of the skill sets that you needed, it was it was sort of the next next best thing to just start your own thing, which I love. You got hired. What you said, two weeks by those three pharma a month. A month, yeah, it took a month, yeah. Okay, yeah, you negotiate the, the master service agreements. Yeah, and, you know, get the but, scope but that that right. was based on I, I'm I'm imagining existing relationships. You didn't have to cold call into these pharma. You know, it's funny because some of them were were brand new relationships. Interesting. But it was it was through networks. So I'll, I'll tell you this story. Yeah. So our VP who left Pfizer, you know, he was out interviewing for pretty big jobs, you know, and so I called him and said, "Hey, you know, Scott and I are looking to go start a company that you know basically does this idea of regional marketing." And Pfizer did more local marketing, but we want to do it more scalable. And he's like, "That's great. Let me," you know. And I was like, "Is there anybody we should talk to?" So he introduced us to the to three people. One was the you know, and and Scott went to this meeting because it was in New Jersey. That Scott, you know, calls to make an appointment with this guy, and the guy's like, you know, his his assistant answers and is like, "Hey, Scott, which office do you want to see him at?" And Scott's like, "Well, he's got multiple offices. Well, I'll pick this one because it's the closest one to my house." So he he picked that one. Well, he gets there and you know goes in. This guy has a massive office with a you know table you know in the corner. So they sit at the table, and uh, Scott he hands this guy his card and Scott reads and it says, Oh, CEO of the, of J and J pharmaceuticals. <laughs> Cause this was before LinkedIn and stuff. Yeah, so he really didn't, you that's know, a, have that's a great intro. A yeah. Wow. Yeah, so he started with that guy and you know, he, he presented our concept and the guy's like, Hey, this is really good. Can you hang on? And he picks up the phone, calls a guy named Bob, who's in charge of, you know, marketing and Bob comes down and listens to it. And they're like, this is great. This is exactly what we've been looking for. So that was, that was nice to start at the top and work our way down because when, when, you know, we got introduced to the brands to actually get the deal done, they thought it was already approved sure. by their boss's yeah. boss, boss right. and that made it much easier to get that. So that was kind of a, a lucky, you know, network that uh, our, our old VP got us, got us to. And then the other ones I think I met at a conference uh, maybe six months before and yeah. left, let them know I was looking to start a company. So yeah, so but yeah, they were all kind of new people to us, but through kind of one degree of separation. And because effectively, were you doing a lot of the similar things you were doing in house at, at Pfizer, or were you doing things that you were outsourcing at Pfizer? Like what, what, why, why wouldn't J and J in this example have their own team internally doing this type of work? Yeah, we we had an agency at Pfizer okay. that did did some of the work. Okay. Um, it was you know a lot of marketing services type stuff yeah. that. I mean, the, the way it works in the pharma space is most of the brands have more money than time. And so they end up hiring a number of agencies to help them get the work okay. done. And that was kind of the role we've played. And we just niched ourselves more into this idea of regional, you know, being able to help you win regionally through better relevance versus trying to do the one size fits all. 
in the pharma space. Relevate health, I get it now. It's all it's all clicking right. for me. Yeah. <laughs> we started as HRM healthcare regional marketing, but we you know we, yeah. we figured out how to do a better job of branding and move to relevate health. So you got it. Yeah. And so what's the difference between local and regional marketing? Yeah. So like Kind of our experience at Pfizer is Pfizer had all the resources to have people at these, you know, there was 24 of us there and it, you were very focused on local one-off initiatives. So you had the, the ability to kind of create something for, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio versus something that could scale to 20 markets at a time. And kind of what we figured out and when we started the company was, you know, most brands don't really want to, you know, hire us to do something in Cincinnati, Ohio. They want to hire us to do something in 20 markets that may be similar to Cincinnati, but have enough scale to really move the needle. And so that was kind of our pivot was making, using data to find markets that had similarities and then recommending those 10, 20, 50 markets to a brand to go focus on. And the other big insight in healthcare that you may or may not know is, you know, our, our, our kind of accepted, you know, client belief was healthcare is local. If we was, if we would go in and say healthcare is local, the way your drug performs, and, and Cincinnati is very different than New York City. It's very different than Boston, Massachusetts. It's very different than, you know, Miami, Florida. And that's all based on local market factors like, you know, what insurance companies cover your product, what doctors and key opinion leaders in your market are talking about your product. It's, you know, based on the level of, uh, you know, your some, some, some markets have, you know, populations that have higher propensity for that disease state. And so we came up with our six Ps of regional marketing. And under the, each of those P's, we had different metrics we could use to help, you know, diagnose or, you know, help them understand kind of what the drivers were. And then we would able be able to run that through this, you know, the math to figure out what markets had that. And so the idea of regional is it was really local marketing that's scalable and the ability to really move the needle. And that, that was kind of our pivot of being able to, you know, help brands do this because they, they all agreed healthcare was local it was just too much work to try to do local initiatives, but they love the idea of doing more regional initiatives. And so you'd come in with the analytics, the five P, six P's, is that what you said? Six P's, Six yeah, P's, yeah, exactly. and then you'd give them an understanding of what's possible, maybe what's currently broken, give them and that led to strategies and then led to the tactical execution. So you got it, that's exactly right. So you had, it was you and your partner, Scott, in there. How did you, like you closed three big clients, like, you know, you know must not fail clients, pretty quickly. How did you manage yeah. that out of the gate? <laughs> well, first we were like super excited and we're like, wow, this is, this is awesome. And then we realized, oh crap, we have a lot of work to do. So we started hiring and uh, Scott and I debated for a little, you know, couple, you know, five minutes. Hey, should we start an office in New Jersey or start an office in Cincinnati? He lived in New Jersey. I lived in Cincinnati. And we quickly came to the conclusion like, hey, Cincinnati's got a lot of marketing talent and the cost of living is much lower in Cincinnati. And so it'd probably be smart for us to build our headquarters in Cincinnati. So that was kind of, you know, strategic decision number one. And we started hiring people here. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of how we ended up in Cincinnati. And, you know, it, it, it was, you know, for me, it was, you know, interesting because I got, you know, I got, I, I joke with Scott, I got the short end of the, of, of, of the, the stick here because I got to manage all these people, right? Like that's a, a lot of work. So <laughs> that's right. we figured it out and, uh, you know, both over the course of our time together, um, it was great just watching the personal growth for yeah. how our roles changed as the company got bigger and how we kept evolving, uh, you know, our ability to, you know, through self-awareness, our ability to be able to uh, lead differently than when we first started. Absolutely. And I'd love to sort of learn a little bit more about that. Certainly be because 
you know, a, a two-person agency at the early days is, you know, running that and maybe a small team there in Cincinnati, you need to be one type of leader. But then when you are a company with 220 employees and eventually, you know, the chairman exiting the operational aspects of the business, that's a much different leader. I witnessed, I witnessed this firsthand at my last company where we went from 20 million to 150 million in revenue as an executive, we had to, you know, we, we, we had to learn a lot. We had to grow a lot, a lot of growing pains, but I'm curious about maybe what are, what were some of the major milestones in the business and maybe even personally along the way, as you went from, you know, zero to 1 million to you know, where you are today? Yeah. So from a business perspective, you know, we started, you know, in 2007, I think we had like 400 grand of revenue that year total. And it was, you know, ended up with probably like, you know, eight employees. Fast forward four years later, and we're doing $15 million. I mean, probably have 80 employees. And it was interesting because we came from Pfizer, you know, nobody at Pfizer would hire us the first two years. But once we, you know, kind of proved ourselves and, you know, we're still in business and actually, you know, an office, they started hiring us. And uh, Pfizer became a huge client for us in 20, 2009, 2010 that grew. And they also made a big shift towards regional. They, they created five regional business units. And so through their business units, basically the hire us is their agency of record. So that created a lot of growth, but you know, growth is great, but when it's one client, I think of our 15, about 10 of it was coming from Pfizer. It's really good until they have another, you know, you know, budget cut. And so 2012, we're back down to 6 million. And so that was a really big learning lesson for us, you know, me especially, and it wasn't so, so big a deal financially as it was culturally you know, taking a company from, you know, zero to 15 and then back down to six, create, you know, and, and you know, like I didn't know how to tell people where we got to cut, you know, cut costs and reduce headcount that created, a, you know, a lot of cultural challenges for us for the next three years that we really figured out like, hey, culture is really what matters in these businesses because it's a people business. And so we really focused on building the culture back from 2012 towards, you know, a great culture, I would say today that's, you know, focused around, you know, self-awareness, but also around core values that can really help people understand what good looks like so that they can be successful in the organization and we're attracting the right people. And that's, so that, that was a big part of our, of, of our work. But, you know, after the, the big drop, we, we grew the business back without any kind of concentration until 2020 when we were about 18 million in revenue. So we tripled it from, you know, 2012 to 2020, we got to 18. So it was from 20, 2007 or 2012 to 2020, we, we tripled it, but we did it much more strategically where we're not taking on major clients. They're going to, you know, basically if they make a major change, we have to make major changes as well. So, and then in 2020, as you know, COVID hit and COVID really emphasized this concept that healthcare is local. All of a sudden, everybody's going to the John Hopkins website, typing in their zip code to see how much COVID there is in that market. And so that just created a huge opportunity for us to own this whole idea of healthcare being local. And so we ended up partnering, you know, interviewed a number of companies, but we partnered with a PE firm called Mountain Gate Capital. And then from there, we've scaled it, you know, over the last three years from the 18 to about 70, 70 we'll be in the 70s this year as far as revenues. So okay. just tremendous growth. And, you know, part of that was, you know, just being able to transform a company from this niche business that was doing regional to now there's really you know, mainstream business of omnichannel marketing. And we've been able to, you know, move into very clear line items for our brands. Our brands have, you know, a number of line items, but three big ones are, it's called non-personal promotion, peer-to-peer marketing and rep enablement. 
And so we've kind of repositioned the company as this omnichannel know-how partner that can really help you win in those three areas. And that's really helped us uh, be able to find a lot more clients and get a lot bigger deals because now we're selling things that are already part of their, of their budget versus trying to sell something that they thought was really cool and really interesting, but it wasn't a line item. So they had to go, would have to go create the money to right, find to right, the regional market. Right. They'd have to either cut the pie in a way that they didn't, they didn't want to, or go find new money, which is always hard. Could we, could we go back to 2012 just for a second? I'm, I'm super curious. You mentioned that it was, that was, it was at that time based on the, uh, the pullback of Pfizer that you had to lay off a bunch of folks. At what point did you realize that you had sort of a, a culture problem? So I, I, you know, I got to lay off, you know, majority of the people cause they're here in Cincinnati. And so I remember the way I did it at the time was I'd go out, get a person say, Hey, can I meet with you for a minute? Take them back into a conference room with my HR person, partner. And we would, you know, say, Hey, really appreciate everything you've done for us. But unfortunately based on the business, you know, here's what we're going to do. And every time I go out, I notice there's less and less people looking at me, you know, wanting to talk to me, smiling at me, you know, and then by the time I was done, like everybody was like, oh, you know, I hope Jeff doesn't call my name. So that was kind of like, you know, hint number one. But then, you know, over, over the next, you know, few months, as I meet with people, there was just this lack of trust. And I, you know, I, you're always the last to know it when you're at the top of organization, you're always the last to know about what people are really talking about. But over time, you know, we'd have some people leave, you know, it'd be, you know, just get feedback like, you know, the company's not transparent enough. We really don't know what's going on, you know. And so that was, you know, I'd say soon thereafter, it was pretty clear, like we really created a break in trust with our people. Yeah. And that's not a great way. You know, it was clear to me, like, you know, trust is really important for a strong culture and lack of trust just creates a lot of, you know, noise in the organization that, Everybody's second guessing everything you're saying. Yeah. People are ready to come talk to you. And so that was, that was kind of, you know, I would say during it, it was clear to me when people wouldn't look at me and they were kind of hiding that, that we got a, we got a trust problem here. Hey, it's Corey. Almost every day I talk with agency owners who are frustrated with getting their outbound program off the ground. The truth is too many agencies are too dependent on inbounds and referrals to grow their business. We all know that it's getting harder and harder to generate inbounds and that it's just not a sustainable way to grow your business. I'd like to give you the six secrets for driving consistent ROI from your outbound that I learned as Scorpion's chief marketing officer, where we doubled the business from 20 million to 40 million just by adding outbound to an existing inbound only program. It's a free six day email course that will transform your outbound from broken to consistently driving new sales opportunities. You could sign up and get the first secret right now by going to getoutboundroi.com. That's getoutboundroi.com. Now back to the show. So, so you mentioned there's, you know, business growth and, and personal growth. What, what did you, what did you, what did you have to face maybe as a leader to earn back that trust? What did you have to change? Yeah. So it was me. Like, I, you know, like there was a, I got introduced to this, um, you know, this system or whatever it's called Enneagram. And so I've done the Myers-Briggs, you know, yeah. I've done DISC, but we had a lady who's here in Cincinnati, who's a great coach. And I'm, I'm part of a group called Entrepreneurs Organization. Yeah. And we get together as a forum. And as part of the forum, we 
we all worked on personal growth using this Enneagram and, and this consultant. And kind of what I learned is a lot of my natural tendencies, they're, they're superpowers, but they're also super weaknesses. And so, you know, I'm a three on the Enneagram, which is an achiever. And so part of, you know, my DNA is to, you know, kind of be a chameleon to some extent, like where, you know, I can kind of blend with people really easily. And I'm really tuned into making sure I'm trying to, you know, make you happy, impress you, whatever those things may be. And that's not always good as a leader. In fact, part of, you know, being a leader is being able to, you know, be transparent and not tell you what you want to hear, but tell you the truth so that you can, you know, effectively be an adult and understand kind of the situation we're in. So that's part of, um, I think, part of what I had to learn was, you know, the way I'm, uh, the way I'm wired as a leader, um, there's some really good parts to it, you know, but there's also some, you know, natural tendencies that are going to make me maybe, you know, less effective. And so transparency was one thing I had to learn, especially as a leader to say, you know, let me, let me share with you kind of the, the situation we're in and, uh, you know, here's what we're trying to do and anything you can do to help us, you know, fix some of these areas would be very, very valuable. So, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'd, I'd say Enneagram really put me on this journey to start to understand some of my natural tendencies as an achiever may create some relationship challenges because I'm, you know, doing tasks versus getting to know somebody or, you know, instead of being transparent, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, kind of, you know, trying to tap into what you want to hear versus what you really need to hear. And so th th those were things I had to learn and it took time, but that was that was a journey I've been on. I'm still on of uh, just being a better, better leader and a better communicator. That's awesome. Enneagram is one of the few tests I've not done. I've heard a lot about it, but I've not done it. I've done okay. pretty much every other, other one of the signs. Yeah. So I've wrote that down. We'll put it in the show notes if other people are interested in checking that out. I think it's, I'm always interested to learn more about myself and my, to your point, like my natural tendencies, we all have blind spots, right? So yeah. Being aware. yeah, and then we actually rolled it out to the whole company. Great. And, you know, just found like the whole company, everybody in the company, I wouldn't say everybody, but I'd say a vast majority really enjoyed learning about themselves and building their self-awareness. Yeah. And kind of the idea was, hey, you can't, I can't use them a three on the Enneagram as an excuse, but you at least know how I'm wired. So maybe you can help me see some of my blind spots yeah. when I'm doing things that are creating some of this lack of trust or some of this tension. I'd really appreciate you and I give you permission to tell me that, hey, Jeff, when you do it, it makes me feel this way because I'll never know unless you tell me, yeah. you know? And so that that was the culture we started to create internally is everybody would, you know, we would do lunch and learns. We'd have a consultant come in and she would train us. She would, type, you know, spend time getting each person typed and educated. And then we had this, you know, we had this language internally we could use to, you know, better communicate, especially during times of stress or times when people were, like myself, were doing things that may not may have not been getting the outcome I was trying to get. And it just created a, you know, a higher level of trust and just to understand that we're all trying to get better, no matter what level you're at or, you know, where you are in the organization. You also mentioned, I believe at that time you got, you got clear on the fact that you needed to be more explicit about the company values and, and mission potentially. Is that, was that part of the, the transformation as well? Yeah, that started um, soon after 2012. Uh, I read a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. I love, I don't know if I love ever... Patrick. Yeah, I have all of his yeah, books right fantastic. over here. <laughs> yeah, so, so that book to me was The Advantage was like a game changer for me because, you know, I grew up in Pfizer and P&G and, the, you know, they kind of have the big, long visions and missions you really can't remember. And so, you know, myself and Scott and uh, we had another partner at the time, Bill, we really focused in on, you know, 
we can't make this, you know, we really need to have a vision and a mission, a, a vision first and then a mission second and then values that people remember. And so, you know, over the years, we've gotten it more and more crisp and now it's really good. Our, you know, our vision is, you know, every communication is relevant. So that's pretty, you know, pretty clear. And it's pretty aspirational because, you know, I'd say most communications in today's world aren't very relevant. <laughs> and then our, our purpose is to create life-changing healthcare engagement, which is it's just, just a much higher standard of uh, marketing. You know, if you're trying to really create life-changing healthcare engagement, it's got to be good. It's got to, you know, it's got to be at the right time. And then we have a core, our core values are four and it's, we call it our pact. So kind of our internal promise to each other, it stands for pioneering, accountable, caring, and transparent. And then, you know, I could talk to you about all day about each, what each of those mean, but, you know, we've got it down to very succinct and very clear and intentional words associated with our vision, purpose, and, and values. And again, that didn't happen overnight. That took years sure. to get there, but I, I think where we've ended up is really good. And it gives a lot of clarity in the organization, which is what Patrick Lencioni talks about. Well, that's, that's where the advantage really happens is when you create clarity. And you mentioned this was sort of a byproduct of the learning and the introspection as a result of what happened in 2012. Looking back, is this something that you would, or maybe if you were advising a, a, an agency owner who's just getting going, that that would be something that they should pay attention to as far as specific, being specific about their vision, mission, values, and purpose? Yeah, definitely. If I, you know, if I ever start another company, like to me, the vision, purpose, and values all play into the name of the company, right? Like so you need to know all that before you can even come up with the name of a company. And so to me that that's, and you know, and I don't think it has to be rocket science, but at the same time, like, you know, having a vision of where you want to be in five years, like that's one of the most powerful tools that anybody has because it's creating kind of, you're casting something that people can now work towards Yeah. I mean, with, without having a vision, you know, it's just really hard for people to know what I'm communicating. And so that, that was a big learning is once we had a vision, it made it easier for people to get excited about it and understand kind of what success looks like. And then the purpose, you know, kind of gives us a reason to come to work every day. You know, I joke when I was at P&G, my, my job was to make women feel insecure about their hair yeah. because I was a hair care marketer. And that, that didn't get me that excited to tell my grandkids one day, but, you know, but for some people, I'm sure it does. But for me, like really, you know, getting people better health and, and the latest information that, that gets me excited. That makes me want to come to work and uh, do a great job so that, we're helping people live longer, healthier lives. And so that's kind of, some of this stuff comes from the founder, whoever, you know, starting the company needs to have some passion in those areas. And then the values, if you can do that before you start, you can actually hire people that fit, fit it versus we did it, you know, midway through and we had to kind of come up with, come up with values that didn't just fit what with what we wanted, but also fit with what we, who we had, because you can't, you can't make that, you can't change a culture just by throwing words on the wall. You have to really describe your culture based on yep. who you have. And, that's my experience. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. have to, it, or else they won't buy it if it doesn't represent reality, right? If, you're, if it's right. something that doesn't fit, it's something that's on the wall that no one will actually uh, really embrace. So at what point did you, I imagine, well, you're, you're, you're no longer operationally heavily involved, it sounds like, but that, and that's correct, right? Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> I'm smiling so much. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. Life's good. good. Yeah. <laughs> sleeping in. That's beautiful. Life's good. At what point did you hire your first salesperson? We started started hiring salespeople probably in 2010. So, you know, maybe three years in. Okay. And, you know, and now we have, you know, 12 salespeople. So, you know, it's just, but yeah, that, that was kind of the, it was pretty early in the process. <laughs> and what was happening in the business that, that, that told you and, and Scott that, you know, Hey, we need to invest in the hiring salespeople. 
it became really clear to us as we ran this business that revenue solves all problems. Yeah. That's kind of our, our, our mantra, you know, yeah. and like it, there's a high correlation between the top line, and the bottom line in a, in a marketing services business. And so if we wanted to grow and wanted to, uh, you know, have a, have a, a strong business, having salespeople on, on board was really, really important. And it was interesting because we debated a long time, you know, a lot of people in the business do kind of the seller doer model where they'll, have their account person be also be the salesperson and kind of what we we experienced was most account people are wired to please their clients and they're not comfortable asking for new business until their clients feel like they've done a great job and that could take three months six months 12 months and unfortunately by month 12 if you don't have another purchase order in place in our business you know, we get annual contracts, you're kind of SOL for the next year. And so we would have a, a great year, you know, with this client and then no PO the next year and then a great PO the next year. And it was like, hey, this is not going to work for growth when you have, you know, POs from clients every other year. And so as we started to really learn about a salesperson skills, a salesperson is, you know, happy to ask for business anytime. They don't really need to prove themselves. They're comfortable with being told no. And so that was just a very different skill set than our account people. Uh, and our, our, our account people are awesome. And some of them do a good job of upselling, but to really grow a business, I think in our space, we needed someone who would just constantly be focused on sourcing new business for us and uh, helping us find deals. And it's just a very different skill set than our account people. Given your uh, focus in pharma specifically in healthcare generally, was it a requirement at that time to hire someone for in a sales role who had a background in sort of pharma or was it just a generic kind of salesperson, maybe had some sales skills or something in between? So we, we tried it all. So we hired, uh, <laughs> you know, people who were not in pharma, who were, you know, great salespeople. We hired ex-manufacturer salespeople. Okay. So somebody who worked for, you know, say Johnson & Johnson as a sale, salesperson selling to doctors, we brought, I mean, we've hired them. And ultimately we found that people who, have agency sales experience in farmer are our best yeah. bets. Yeah, you know, yeah, plug and play. Now it works. Yeah, and, and you know, you can, people can learn, but at the end of the day, everything is a lot more complex when you dig into it. And the pharma space is very complex. And so, you know, I had one client, you know, who I knew from Pfizer, who also hired us later, who said, you know, if I have to teach one more agency what a TRX or an NRX is, which is total prescriptions or new prescriptions, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, jump off the ledge. And so there is a lot of value in having people who've done it before yeah. that come into the team. And so that that our our best hires thus far, you know, 16 years into it are people who are already working, who had already worked in the services space in the pharma world. That makes perfect sense. It's also probably why you could. I don't know your pricing, but you could probably charge a premium because you already speak the language. <laughs> you're just right. the language. Yeah, makes it easier. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and again, our clients have more more uh, money than time. Sure. So they're much happier Beautiful. to get yeah, people just, who've done it before. Here's the money, take care of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When it comes to sort of positioning and marketing, your differentiation in the market, I imagine you're not the only player in town who's able to, has these type of skills. How do you, how do you differentiate you know, your, your agency versus the, the competitors. Yeah. So historically it's, it's, it's all been around data-driven marketing. And so that like, that's, you know, for, you know, there's more and more companies that are, you know, playing in the data space, but it's still kind of a minority versus a majority. So, and now, and now we have what we call, you know, solutions. So 
instead of coming in and saying, hey, what are your problems? Here's a custom idea. We have 12 kind of tech enabled solutions that we've designed over the last you know, 16 years that we can plug in and turn on to do omni-channel work for you tomorrow. So I would, you know, I would say our big, our biggest ones are the data-driven and then the, the the solutions part of our business. That makes us very differentiated and allows us to get deals at these big global pharmaceutical companies that typically won't work with anybody who's not part of a network. But we're able to work with them because we have, you know, that differentiation. Sure, and that I would would you would you consider those to be like productized services where it's like yeah, a specific predefined kind of scope. And is this something that they could come to your website and just buy off the site directly, or do they have to go through a sales channel? They'd have to go through a sales channel yeah. at this point. Man. Yeah, it's not quite plug and play yeah. or SaaS. Yeah. You know, it, there's there's a lot of just because of all the regulation in our space, there's a yeah. lot of you know kind of understand their needs to a level that we can make sure we can deliver against. Yeah, that makes sense. How did you go from pure custom solutions to now having these different productized offerings? Like, what was that process like generally? You know, it was it was interesting as we started to work with, you know, these different manufacturers, you know, every manufacturer was like, hey, our, our they call it review committee. That's where you get stuff approved by legal, medical and regulatory. Our review committee is the most conservative in the industry. And so we'd hear that over and over. Every company we went to, we hear that from. We're like, hey, you know, like you all can't be the most conservative in the industry. But, you know, we were starting to see very similar kind of areas that they would hire us for. So one was called, you know, it's basically peer-to-peer -peer marketing where we would get a doctor in Chicago that we would interview for best practices and diagnosing and treating, say, diabetes. And then, you know, and we would do that in, say, 10 markets for brand A. And then brand B, they, you know, we they would hire us to do the same thing for, you know, cholesterol. And then brand C would hire us to do something for infections. And so, it was like, oh, these are, these are all kind of similar, you know, needs of using local doctors to be able to better communicate to the the general population, the general population or the general you know set of doctors. You know, how do we standardize this and make it you know more consistent so we can put tech behind it and automate more of it? So that was kind of the, the process, and we've used a couple outside partners to help us kind of you know bring in productization skills. There's a couple companies that at least one company we've worked with that does that. And that's like a lot of, it's interesting because our sales guys love selling that way, but then our delivery people didn't like delivering that way because they, <laughs> they, they like the creative, they like the ability to kind of do things a little right, differently. Right, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of, it was, a, you know, kind of back to culture as a little bit of a culture change to get our operations teams to standardize things and do things consistently across clients. So, but I think as you start to get multiple clients, you can start to see themes of things that they all need. Yeah. And then based on that, you can start to identify and then make the choices around how do you standardize some of this stuff and what part needs to be custom or what part needs to be, yeah. you know, standard. And so, and then with technology, it becomes, you know, it's, it's easier in a way because clients will kind of subscribe to your technology or to your, your product that way. It just takes more kind of programming in the back end to build it, to actually implement it. But sure. that's, you know, that, that, that was kind of the, you know, I would say pretty early on we were selling, we had a number of products that we sold and that was, that, ma that made it easier to kind of scale and, and, and kind of productize some of those things. And I imagine, obviously, I don't know your deal structure, but I imagine the retention is probably pretty good on those past 12 months once they're in type of thing. Yeah, no, we, we get high rates. I, the, the biggest thing we saw was, you know, we get year one and then our account people wouldn't, you know, ask until budget season was already over for year two. So we'd end up with year three. So we'd kind of, that was kind of, maybe if you remember back yeah. to our sales conversation, yeah. Yeah. we were getting every other year deals. Clients loved working with us. They liked the, the ROI they got on our stuff. It was just, 
you know, we did we didn't do a great job of always being in their budget year after year. And yeah. so that was when we started to add the sales team. So that yeah, makes sense. But yeah, now I think we're working with 195 brands now across the the pharma and the device space, which I didn't, you know, if you would ask me five years ago, I wouldn't even realize there was that many brands. So <laughs> right, pretty, exactly. pretty cool, uh, you know, getting a chance to work with all these clients and continue to learn and identify themes that we can productize. So I just have a couple of more questions for you. As as uh, as you look back now, you've you've uh, stepped into more of a chairman role. You're no longer operational. You have this private equity partner. These are all things that a lot of agency owners would love to would love to at some point get to. It I think is is really great. So, you know, what are what are some of as it relates to like what are some of the big sort of takeaways or advice maybe that you would have for an agency owner who's considering taking a vertical market approach and wants these kind of outcomes? Yeah, like, you know, one is, um, you know, having a you know, strategy is about making a choice. And I think the biggest choice we made was probably like 2018 when we really said, let's focus on HCP marketing and say no to other stuff. That's hard to do as an entrepreneur and an agency owner that you got all this overhead. But, you know, saying no to... So they actually say yes to something better. It was a big learning for me. And, you know, once we did that, we've been able to scale a lot faster because we said no to patient and consumer marketing, you know, and really focus on this HCP marketing area. And so that's, you know, allowed us to be able to now find companies to acquire. We were able to attract PE partner, you know, do all these things. That's part one. The second thing is like work on yourself. Like what got you here is not going to get you there. And so... You know, I was a great, you know, client service manager. I was a great salesperson, you know, but as I, as we started hiring people, you know, my role had to change. And that means like we talked about before, how you lead changes and, you know, kind of being this constant learner and really learning about myself, learning about other ways to approach things, you know, talking to other CEOs is really, you know, helpful. I'm, I, I, I've been in a, a couple of different business groups, you know, during my career that have been really, really helpful, like EO another group called C12, where you're just kind of, you know, able to talk about issues and whether it's in pharma marketing or, you know, manufacturing, you got the same issues because you have people, right? And you have business stuff. And so being able to learn from other people and apply that, but also having enough self-awareness to kind of know where you're strong and where you're not strong is, is really uh, important. And then really, you know, over time, like, how do you hire the right people to be able to empower them to run it, run, run more and more of the business? Because, like what I have found is, you know, as I kind of, as we got bigger, the only, the only issues I got were the hard ones, you know, <laughs> yeah. people, the people who we hired were able to handle a lot of the stuff that, you know, were kind of, were easy for me at the time. And, you know, as or not, not, they were hard for me at the time, but as I got more experience it became easier. And then as you hire people that are really better than, as I hire people that were better than me in their specific areas, like they'd handle stuff a lot better than I can handle it. And I can focus on the bigger things from a strategic perspective, but, you know, trying to get involved. And, in, you know, one of the things I learned is, you know, my, my way is not the only way. In fact, I'd rather you choose your way as long as it's in a, you know, set of good enough that is going to allow us to allow you to own it. Because if you own something from a decision perspective, you're going to, you're going to make it happen a lot more successfully than if I tell you what you have to do. And quite frankly, if I'm, telling you what you have to do. I, I, I probably am not creating the right culture. I don't have the right people. And so that was a big learning for me was like, you know, there's a hundred ways to do things. There's probably 20 that are good enough. As long as you own one of those 20 and you think it's the right way and you go implement it, 
like that's a win for me. That's a win for you. And it's a win for the the, the business. Yeah. And so that, that was, uh, that was a big learning. Cause you know, I, I quickly learned as I hired leaders, I couldn't, I could, we could kind of align on what to do, but I couldn't tell them how to do it. Yeah. Or if I did, they would not be very motivated by it. <laughs> and I think all of that requires a lot of introspection and, and focus on personal growth. You mentioned EO and these groups, how early should a founder consider getting involved with these type of groups? Is it, is it ever too early or is there, is there a milestone? No, I think early is good because it's, it's lonely being a leader of a company in some ways. I, I was blessed to have a partner that I could, we could kind of commiserate together on challenges. But then, you know, I'm sure there was things that, you know, he was frustrated by me or vice versa, that it's nice to have a, another group of people that you can sit down and kind of share experience with. Yeah. The nice thing about EO is it's local. You get put in a forum and you can't give each other advice. You can only share experience. And so <laughs> I could say, hey, here's my problem. And then people can't say, hey, Jeff, here's what you should do. Because right. the last thing any of us want to hear is what I should, somebody tell me who doesn't really know the situation that well, tell me what to do. But that you, you, you share kind of, hey, I had a situation that was similar. Here's my situation. Here's what I did. Here's the outcome. And that's a much easier way to hear things. And it's much more effective too, because then I can take that and process it to my specific situation. And I've learned to do that with my kids. My kids don't want me to tell them what they should do, but they're very, they're very entertained to hear the problems and, and issues I've and the screw ups I've had in my life <laughs> that they can then apply to theirs. So that's, that's been a good, uh, a good tool that I learned from EO. And I would say, yeah, the earlier, the better, because it's, it's hard or it's hard to start and, you know, grow these businesses unless you have people around you that you can lean on and, uh, and confer with and learn from. That's great. I think that's a great advice. Last question for you, Jeff, is what's your motivation? You know, like I, I'm, I'm a guy of faith. So like my kind of thing is like, how do I do a great job to glorify God and what I'm doing? Like, that's really where my standard is. And so it's like, how, how do I do a great job with the, the talents I've been given? And, you know, how do I do it in a way that I can, you know, one day, you know, see, hope, you know, see him hopefully and uh, be told, you know, I did a good job. So that that's ultimately kind of the standard I, I try to work against versus, you know, having so much money in the bank or having my name on on a building. You know, those those things ultimately don't really matter. It's really, you know, kind of trying to leave a, a, a great legacy behind um, with my family and, and doing the right thing um, day to day. Well, you've been extremely generous here with myself and the audience, and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to walk us through the history, uh, probably a brief a brief look at the history, but still a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of really great uh, insights and takeaways today. So thank you for coming on, Jeff. Appreciate it. Corey, it's my pleasure. Appreciate the great questions. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks for keeping it entertaining. That was a lot of fun for me. So yeah, thank you so good. much. Good. We'll talk soon. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast. If you receive value from the show, I would love a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.